Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 65 of the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. On this episode, we have a conversation with Marco Bongiani, a veteran and clinical mental health counselor who helps the veterans he works with identify parallels between their military experience and how that experience can support them in post-military life. One of the images I like to sometimes draw too is, you know, a map like we do in land nav in the military, right? You have a your standard, uh, you know, paper map there that you're using uh, to navigate from one point to another. And let's say you're looking at your map and you notice that there's supposed to be a terrain feature there, but then you pull it down and you see reality out there and there's no terrain feature there, right? Well you would go with what's in reality, right? Because I don't want to go off of a cliff, certainly, right? Or put myself in a position where I'm just following the map blindly, right? Because the map could be wrong. You may not be in the right place, right? Um, so life being the reality out there sometimes doesn't match the map, right? Of maybe where we think we're going, right? Um, and I think particularly as we transition out of the military, we have a, a map in our mind of maybe where we want to go. Then reality kind of sometimes awakens us. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show. Change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veterans, service members, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us to learn a little bit more about veteran mental health. Uh, as you know, these next couple uh, uh, sessions, we're going to be uh, recording a live in-person event. Um, uh, I'm here at the um, American Counseling Association uh, conference in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and uh, running into a lot of mental health professionals that uh, are veterans, that work with veterans. Uh, and so uh, following along the theme where we're talking to mental health professionals about what they're doing in transition, uh, I have my guest today. So my guest today is Marco. Marco, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Dwayne. It's uh, really an honor to sit here with you. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've spoken to you already, uh, uh, great to meet you in person. I've uh, been an admirer of, uh, of your work, definitely, um, and the things that you've you've done not only individually, but, you know, as an agency uh, where, where you're, you're, you're based. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the tools and things that I see, um, and, and particularly these podcasts, uh, they're, they're very unique, you know. And so, <laughs> I, I like that. You know, I, I kind of, there's a joke, it, you know, I have three in the fan club, you, me, and my, my wife and my mom, but uh, maybe it's starting to grow a little bit. No, but it is. It's, it's important, um, but it's also important to help veterans understand uh, the transition and, and what mental health is like. Sure. Uh, and so uh, you are a mental health professional and you're currently an Army Reservist and Andy. So before we get into all that, um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, my first name is Marco, uh, Marco Bonjani. I'm a uh, uh, as you said, uh, I work for the Department of Veterans Affairs in, uh, in my civilian job at a vet center, um, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I also have another hat. I'm an Army reservist. Uh, I've been now in for about 17 years, um, and I uh, command a battalion in, in the Army Reserves. Um, so, you know, as we talk, certainly uh, these are my opinions and my uh, personal, uh, um, I think, 
you know, uh, uh, sort of antidotes and, you know, but, uh, I, you know, certainly love to uh, talk about also my experiences in working primarily probably more in the mental health capacity um, in, in, in the VA and, uh, you know, the great things that, uh, that the VA does, but that many different agencies do. So you were uh, active duty for a period of time, yep. um, eight or nine years? Uh, yeah, I was active duty for about nine years. I was not in the mental health uh, field uh, while I was on active duty. I was a logistics officer. Um, now I'm a civil affairs officer in the Army Reserve, which, you know, interestingly enough, civil affairs is, is big on building relationships. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it fits uh, well with what you're doing. Yeah, right? it does somewhat uh, have a, a parallel, so to speak. I always like to, to talk about parallels and how you can find things that look like something similar to what you already know. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of got into mental health. I wouldn't say uh, um, necessarily on, on purpose. It was kind of uh, um, you know, by accident, I guess, if you could say it. Uh, while I was on active duty going through uh, you know, personal challenges of my own, uh, not only related to deployments, but uh, just personal things going on in my life. Uh, you know, started to go and, and seek uh, mental health services, essentially, um, where I was stationed at the time in Germany, um, and just going to the base clinic, basically. Uh, and it 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 started to kind of get me interested, uh, not only in a uh, personal standpoint, uh, but professionally, you know, and, and, and had you asked me, you know, 15 years ago that right. I'd be doing this or sitting with you at the ACA conference right now, I'd probably tell you you were, you're crazy. Um, my, my undergraduate background was in business, so I was not, uh, someone who knew anything really about psychology from a, uh, professional standpoint, but, um, got a lot of interest in it personally and then just wanted to know more. Um, and as I kind of found my transition out of the active duty, um, army, um, it just looked like a logical sort of uh, uh, transition for me to make, and with the the blessing of the the, uh, the GI Bill, uh, was able to kind of make it uh, make it a reality. It's always interesting to me. Um, uh, I was also in logistics, mm-hmm. right? And, and a lot of times when veterans leave the service, they think they have to continue on with what they did, sure. right? If uh, a logistics officer for you, a lot of my uh, platoon leaders went on to to run warehouses for Walmart or. Um, you know, or I could have been a dispatcher for a, a trucking agency or something like that. Um, it wasn't what I wanted to do when I got out. Um, and, and a lot of veterans sort of think that they just have to follow into what they do. Yeah. Um, it, but you, you were able to reinvent yourself, essentially, and start an entire second career um, that had nothing to do with your MOS in the military. But what parallels do you find between leadership in the military and, and thera- counseling, yeah. therapy now? Yeah, well, I think the first is what you just spoke of, those sort of hard and soft skills, you know, the hard skills being your, your MOS skills, right, or, or, or your branch or whatever, uh, you know, your skills particularly are in the military from a functional standpoint. And then the soft ones, which are, you know, the skills that are inherent to any member of the military, right, your leadership skills, your ability to uh, handle and, and manage uh, under, a, you know, a, a situation that may uh, have significant pressure or deadlines, your ability to multitask, your ability to build relationships. I mean, those are the skills that I think you can leverage doing anything in life um, professionally and certainly the ones maybe to highlight also uh, when you're going through the, the job application process. But from a leadership standpoint, I think, um, you know, as a leader in the military, regardless if you're a, a you know, junior enlisted or a, you know, senior officer, um, you're constantly mentoring, you know, whether right. you're mentoring mm-hmm. your, your peers or you're mentoring your subordinates or sometimes even, you know, tactfully uh, mentoring your superiors as well. Um, I used to, <laughs> Blake, you've heard me say this before, as Blake was my platoon leader, yeah. I would draw an invisible line for him, sure. for, him to, for him to follow. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then yeah. there was a point, though, halfway through the, uh, halfway through the deployment, it clicked for him and then he became the yeah, boss. Yeah, and yeah. So. Well, I think it, you know, uh, regardless of of where you are in the military, it's, you know, learning to to listen and learning to, you know, take in more than sometimes you put out, right? Um, And I think from a mentoring standpoint, um, you you leverage those skills on a daily basis. You may not even necessarily, you know, be be aware of it, um, but, you know, logically then to transition those skills into something professional if you desire, not necessarily even in the mental health field, but... Um, in, in a field where you're just helping others, you know, um, I think uh, um, what's interesting about sort of the mental health field, you know, you, it's sometimes called the, the helping field, right, or, you know, the um, uh, helpers, you know, yeah. where, where healers, are, healers yeah. helpers, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of connections to just who we are in the military, too, I think, you know, we are uh, generally, uh, you know, volunteers, obviously, and 
uh, and want to do something bigger than ourselves and want to be able to contribute and want to be able to help others and uh, not only when we're you know sent in in missions around the world but um, you know the community aspect uh, that is very present in the military um, so you know I think it, there's a lot of connections between just leadership in the military and uh, certainly skills that you can use whether you're you know working as a uh, um, as a therapist or a counselor or in, in whatever aspect of your life takes you um, after you separate no I I, I really uh, I, I see that I, I think there's times where you know um, I'm doing the same thing I did as a platoon sergeant or a first sergeant right you know sit down Joe tell me what's going on mm-hmm. only they, they don't stay in a parade rest anymore yeah. um, but they it, it's it's sort of an extension of the same thing mm-hmm. now you mentioned it a couple times and I probably I want to get into that in in then bring back to this. Um, I attended, attended a presentation for you the other day, talking about parallels, how how understanding military culture and, and, and your experience in the military and drawing that um, into psychological mm-hmm. concepts. Yeah. Um, and and it's very big, right? You know, there's all these parallels, these mm-hmm. things that mean one thing on the outside. So you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, no, I've always enjoyed uh, you know looking at parallels. I think from from a a bigger picture of just you know learning in life you know and, and I think when I define a parallel I mean something that um, you learn in one facet of life right that then can be applied elsewhere in a different way right um, and there's you know constant constant examples of things that you can probably find on a daily basis where you learn something somewhere and now you're able to apply it somewhere else um, and, I, and I think from a therapy standpoint it's been um, important for me uh, to see how I can leverage that, uh, not only when I work with the, the clients that I work with, but um, you know, be able to share that also with other providers, uh, because I think you learn a tremendous amount of, of skills in the military and, and, and concepts and ideas, and you know, those can be things that um, most service members carry with them long after they take the uniform off. Um, and so if, if they already know some of those things um, and they can pull from some of those skills or make connections with those skills when they go into an environment like uh, a therapy setting whether it's individual or group or whatever const- or whatever uh, um, you know sort of setting it is um, it might mean it might allow them to feel more comfortable in that setting you know and allow them to feel more trusting and allow them to say hey I know some of this stuff already um, I, I just maybe have to draw this parallel right to a concept or um, an idea that maybe the therapist has the professional training in uh, that didn't be able to, to work it into, um, you know, ultimately, hopefully creating a better quality of life for yourself. Right. You know, I, and I, I really look at that, uh, that idea of uh, what worked for you in the military, but, but we, and I say we, and, and, and you and I maybe in the same time, as we transition out of the military, we don't think it applies, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, we feel like we have to know networking. We have to learn networking, but we were in the military you knew who the cook was, the mechanic was, sure. and the S1. Yeah. You knew who you had to go to, yeah. right, to be able to get what you needed done. And you would, you know, whatever it was, you wanted to be on the supply sergeant's good side. And so you networked when you're in the military. You had your buddy in the unit down the street that was telling you things, and you shared this peer network, but you didn't think of it as networking. Mm-hmm. So those kind of things. Um, but when it comes to therapy, and, and, and uh, one of the examples that you used and, and I've used often was um, a parallel between uh, the concept of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if uh, listeners will recall, we had James Pond from Veterans Path on the show um, uh, back a while back talking about mindfulness. But the idea of mindfulness and then uh, uh, the weapons range. Yep. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I, it's one I, I frequently use and I try and think about it myself all the time. You know, um, I think regardless of uh, what um, branch you were uh, in, in the military and what era even you served in, at some point in time you, you qualified on your basic weapon, right? Um, and so it's kind of intergenerational uh, sort of aspect of military experience. Um, and, you know, regardless again of what branch you were, there's fundamentals of marksmanship, right? And, and one of those fundamentals is breathing, certainly. Um, and so to connect something that is very basic, that is understood by essentially anybody who served in the military, um, hey, remember when you qualified on that basic weapon system of yours and breathing was an essential part to being able to complete that task effectively, um, and you can see kind of the light light up in someone's mind. They go, oh, yeah, I, you know, I remember how critical that was. And my drill sergeant or drill instructor ensured that, you know, I understood that. Um, and then we kind of shift from there and we say, hey, you know, breathing was, was so important for that task. And, and breathing can also be a very important thing that you can control uh, other parts of, of challenging experiences that you may have in your life, right? I mean, it's a, it's a way literally to control our bodies, right? It's almost like a braking system for our body. 
um, or a, a clutch if you think about that, right? Um, you, you're able to control um, your body's reaction to something and you can control your mind based off of that too. So I think it's a, it's a very simple building block. Um, and that's, a, I think, a good example, again, of a parallel that a skill someone is already going to know in the military quite well um, and you just kind of have to refresh, you know, their right. mind of, of, hey, you, you already know a little bit about this, right? So let's, let's maybe try it in a different way um, instead of just kind of saying, well, let's do this breathing exercise right now. And it doesn't have any necessarily context as to uh, the effectiveness of it or, or what it may do or not do for you. Yeah, I, I actually, and, and I take that and I actually use that as an example of, of mindfulness and being in the moment. Yeah. Right? You know, and I say that when you were on the range, uh, you weren't thinking about breakfast. Like when you were on the firing line mm-hmm. and you were qualifying with it, you weren't thinking about breakfast. You're not thinking about dinner. You are literally in the moment. You are focusing on your breathing. You're focusing on the trigger squeeze. You're focusing on, on everything that was around it, uh, including your target. I mean, you were literally being mindful and present in sure. that moment. Yeah. And even as you said, uh, the drill sergeants, maybe they're the Zen masters, making sure mm-hmm. that you're present in yeah. that moment, right? That you're not um, thinking about anything else. Uh, and, and like you said, when I explain it in that way to veterans, they're like, oh, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, no, I get that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I really like the idea that you, you have of, of very deliberately mm-hmm. um, a, a mental health professional who may not be a veteran can learn these aspects. Sure. Uh, and, and not to make it fake, but to say, you know, this is something that happened there, uh, and then this is something that you can do here. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, I think there's this... There's this idea and concept that's present. Certainly, you see it in, in the media. You see it in society about uh, you know this gap or this this space between veterans and civilians. You know, um, and I think part of it certainly is is civilians understanding conceptually more uh, not only the culture of the military but um, you know concepts of the military, right? And and then if, especially if you're in a therapeutic uh, sort of setting um, as a provider, um, showing competency, right? Not only in sort of the, the structure of the military, right? Like the ranks and the, the uniforms and what, you know, the, the cultures of each service look like, right? But more importantly, I think showing competency in, um, you know, some of the inherent sort of aspects of the military that, that stay with an individual long after they've separated, right? And whether that's, again, that connection right away to, to being on the firing line, right? Um, or, um, you know, military values, I think is another big one that I frequently like to talk about, right? Um, Usually, regardless of one's experience in the military, um, you know they are able to connect to uh, whatever values their, their service had. You know, um, you know there's acronyms. The Army we have the leadership acronym. You know, um, and those values, um, you know, mean something to an individual long after they, they separate. They usually try to apply those values often in their in their life as well. Um, so that's another you know great parallel I think that you can draw, um, and it's it's certainly informing and instructing providers that don't have that military experience, like you said, about these things, because um, that also gives them more credibility, I think, when they work with veterans um, or service members, that they've gone out and they've done the extra, uh, you know, sort of uh, mile of uh, finding out knowledge that's not just surface level, right? It gets down into the core of, uh, of who that, that veteran or service member is. You know? and, and I think that's really, <laughs> and it's part of the building trust, and it's part of understanding and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and so, in, in, and you were a combat vet, you deployed, I, I think it was a couple times? Yep, um, uh, two times deployed to Iraq um, in the early stages in 2003, and then uh, later in, uh, during the surge in 2006, 2007. Um, and uh, I've done a few overseas duty assignments as well, um, and I also was deployed to uh, Horn Africa. So, um, And so, in, in, and I've... Uh, seen this. I mean, it's a benefit being a combat veteran for other. Do you find it's a shortcut for you uh, when you're working with veterans? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as a professional uh, doing this, you know, if you are a veteran or certainly a combat veteran, um, you, you have to be aware. Uh, you, you have to, you know, certainly be present with yourself all the time. Um, you know, I'll, I'll see veterans who were even in the same, you know, unit I mm-hmm. was in, right? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily the same uh, you know, uh, company-sized element, but in the same division I was in. You, right? like, literally shared the battlefield yeah, with Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so when, when one of those connections happen, um, you know, from a professional standpoint, you certainly do have to remain, um, you know, impartial, right, to, uh, uh, you know, being uh, connected on a personal level, right? Um, but, you know, I always tell veterans, any veteran that I work with, I, I usually, you know, do disclose right away that I am a veteran, right? Um, 
but I tell them also immediately after that that doesn't mean I can fully understand all the experiences right. yeah, that no, you've absolutely. had in your life. Um, you know, we could be side by side on the battlefield and internalize an experience totally differently uh, just because we're two different people, right? And so even if I was the battle buddy to someone, um, it doesn't mean that uh, the experience that impacted them in, would impact me the, the same exact way, just off the two different minds processing it differently. So, um, you know, I think I, I try to very frequently, you know, establish that me being a veteran does not equal me knowing any more about you than if someone who wasn't a veteran. But I think it does allow us um, who are veterans and in this field uh, to, to, like you said, build trust maybe a little bit faster um, and certainly establish more of an environment of, of, of comfort um, and of, uh, of uh, a setting that is, is supportive. Um, um, you know, probably uh, we're able to do that maybe a little faster than, than a, a clinician who is not a veteran who has no military connection uh, will have to, you know, probably challenge themselves much right. more to, to build and that initial trust. And it's not that it can't be done, right? No, no, it's no not, not at all. They, I yeah. mean, it, it takes a little longer, but mm -hmm. is, is where, where you talk about uh, parallels often. Mm -hmm. uh, I talk about paradoxes yeah. a lot. Yep. Um, and the paradox of a veteran who, who wants to tell their story sure. and at the same time can't tell their story, mm -hmm. don't feel like they can tell their story. Um, uh, you and I attended a presentation today where there was a veteran who was expressing to his, his uh, clinician that uh, everybody wants to go see the war movies. Everybody wants to see and, and talk about heroes on the big screen. But if I talk about that same thing in the, in the local barbecue, they're going to run away screaming and not consider sure. me a hero. Um, I find that, that when veterans come in my office and they're like, okay, you're a vet, that like the first thing you want to do when they sit down is just you know the worst day of their lives yeah. immediately and i have to kind of back off and say let's let's get some coping skills around this yeah. but but there's it's almost like a dam is breaking because veterans want people to understand what they did without having to tell them yeah is, is that your experience yeah i mean i, I often uh describe uh therapy as um like a well two ways one is like a valve right like a pressure valve i usually talk to uh, you know, folks who uh, maybe were uh, mechanics or engineers in in, uh, in terms that they will understand, right? So I always describe it as a as a like a hydraulic valve, right? That has a release and therapy. If you release it all at once, it becomes unstable, right? And so, like you just mentioned, somebody who just comes in and dumps everything right away, that's not very controlled, right? And and whatever we do in life, I think we always need to be from a controlled and balanced standpoint. So. You know, a valve that's more controllable is one that you have a lever on, right, that you can release a little bit of pressure, but then also close it back up again because you have things that you have to do in your day-to-day -day life and um, you want to be able to leave the therapy office knowing that you can still accomplish those things. Um, so it's, it's, you know, a valve that has a control pressure uh, sort of release on it that then you as the client or the veteran uh, controls, you know. And then I think the other image that I always like to, to kind of draw is like a, you know, like a two-liter bottle of soda, right? If you if you shake it up really, really, you know, a lot, right, and then I open it, it all comes out all over the place, right? Um, so that's like, again, a therapy experience where everything is released too rapidly, right? Um, often individuals that that do that then don't necessarily feel like they can come back again, right? Um, yeah. Or there's a, there's an, you know, they feel ostracized. But with that, that two-liter bottle of soda, I can still shake it and release the pressure slowly, right, very, very slowly, um, and then allow me to still, you know, have the contents inside without them being spilled everywhere, so... Um, you know, I, I think it's it's the environment where when you go, knowing that you're in control of how to release a little bit of that pressure, um, you know, I think is uh, is one that I always try and instill in the veterans that I work with, that it's not me as the therapist trying to make that pressure come out. It's it's you, and, and you control the, the valve, right, or you control the ability to open that cap um, and, and let some of the, uh, um, you know, the the gas come out literally first right before we we go into whatever you want to go into it's interesting you say control because a, a lot of veterans feel like they're not in control yeah. right they're not in control of, of my emotions like mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm betrayed by my you know my body or you know we think about PTSD but but just you know I got a job but that job it's not it's not fulfilling to me I hate it you know I, and um, but you know that's what we tried to do when we were in the military right sure. was to control our actions control the bad whatever it was uh, and then we try to apply more control on the outside, and then things get out of control. And so it, it's it's important, I think, to help veterans understand that they do have the capacity to control these things. Yeah. We, you can literally control your emotions. It, mm -hmm. it literally works. I've done it. You've done yeah. it, right? But but I think veterans don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, control. I think again, if we're going to draw these parallels again back to our 
our military experience, right? I mean, just being in control of your environment is is a hugely important aspect of uh, you know feeling uh, safe and confident in what you do in the military, right? Um, certainly in a combat setting, right? Um, you know, the, the absence of control or um, the the lack of it, right, is is when bad things happen, right? And so, uh, you know, being in control, I think, is a is a huge aspect too that you want to draw into um, your uh, your life after the military as a veteran. Um, and and I always say, you know, being in control should look like giving you still the quality of life that you want, right? Being in control should not be, you know, I lock myself in my house and you know build uh, literally a fob around my 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 world, right? And uh, um, you know, secure myself um, because while you may feel <coughs> in control, it's affecting your quality of life certainly at that point, right? So I often you know try and frame it in the aspect of. Um, how can you still be in control in environments where there are events that may be going on that you can't fully control, right? You can always control your response to things because, you know, no one can, can force you to respond. You, we always choose ourselves on how to respond. So control is a, is a huge aspect, though, I think, of working with any veteran um, is, is certainly um, discussing that and seeing what it means to the veteran. And, and that makes me think, and literally that, I think, parallel right there is when we were in the military, or, you know, and obviously where you're at um, in the reserves, but mm-hmm. when you go somewhere, you adapt to the operational sure. environment, right? You do not, and this is a counterinsurgency, opera, a counterinsurgency you're a, a, a CA guy, so yep. you know that yep. um, as much as anybody else. And so we don't go in and upend the market and, and, and create um, our uh, an, an own little America yeah. Yeah. Uh, wherever we go. And so we have to adopt, adapt to the operational environment mm-hmm. And yet, when we come back here, we, some veterans, want people to stop shooting fireworks. We mm-hmm. want to force the environment to conform to us mm-hmm. rather than us doing what we did in the military. Mm-hmm. And, and we seem to forget that we have that ability there and sure. we can do it here. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, again, the, the, the ability to respond is always, you know, one that you control, right? And if I choose to respond in a way that then limits my outcomes, you know, uh, that, that may not provide the best you know, outcome, right? Uh, but if I choose to respond in a way where um, I have a more desirable outcome, right, um, then uh, again, maybe my, my ultimate quality of life is better, right? Um, and, you know, I think you were mentioning it came into my mind, you know, about, um, you know, building trust in the military, right? Uh, I think trust takes time, right? Mm-hmm. And in the military, certainly if you uh, do something that uh, causes your uh, subordinates or peers or superiors to, to doubt trusting you can be a very challenging experience then to try and rebuild that trust, right? Not only an individual, but, um, you know, as a, a couple general officers I know have always kind of stated something along the lines of you can't surge trust, right? You can't just automatic trust onto somebody, right? Because it takes a lot of time. And I think that's, that's very similar in the therapy setting, regardless of if you're working with a veteran who is a therapist uh, or if you're working with a, you know, a civilian who hasn't served in the military, um, you, you can't just surge trust right away, um, nor should the, the therapist certainly expect that. Um, and it's going to take some time for the veteran uh, to, to feel that level of trust. No, I, I think that's very important. And in, in, uh, I see that, you know, I mean, there is the, and I guess I hear this anecdotally, not, not necessarily with clinicians that I know personally, but I'm the expert, right? Mm-hmm. I know trauma. I know, you know, so there's a, there's a you should trust me. Sure, sure. Uh, on the other side, I think that it, this is something that I've I've thought of that, um, especially enlisted soldiers are sort of trained to think that anybody who has a degree yeah. is the superior, right? Mm-hmm. That they're the, you know, they're the subject matter experts, and I should just listen. Not not to to um, just roll over, but uh, when I talk to veterans that go to VA for their medications, mm-hmm. they'll come in and tell me they say I hate the medications, and I said, well, why don't you tell your your med management, why didn't you tell your psychiatrist about that? And you're like, well, they just told me this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe, so there's st- some things that that in the military that they should not bring out sure, um, sure. and that we can advocate for ourselves. And that's a lot of what I try to help veterans Yeah, do. I mean, I you know, I tell constantly to any veteran, I say, Who, who's the best advocate for your health or for anything? You know, it's you, right? You, you as an individual are going to be the best advocate. So, um, and... You know, some of that I think stems from just the collective culture of the military that most of us are used to, not being the individual out there that's going to, you know, make it all about them, right? Um, but when when we transition, um, we do have to, you know, um, take some some ownership in our individuality, right, and, and be comfortable with 
um, doing things, you know, for ourselves and doing things because it's right for us, right? And uh, taking, like I said, um, you know, uh, pride in what you do individually, right? Um, that can be a, a significant step sometimes uh, for uh, transitioning, right? Is going from that that very we-based environment of the military to a very I-based environment of generally, uh, culturally, what we see in the United States. Um, and so uh, that can be a big, I think, um, you know, um, divide that you have to kind of bridge in your mind, um, especially if you're going to school right after you separate, right? You're in an environment where you're almost exclusively in, in charge of yourself, right? And you, no one else is going to take your tests and stuff like that or your grades. Um, or if you're in the workplace where, um, you know, you may be part of a team, so to speak, but it looks very different than the team that you had in the military. Um, and so finding that thing that can drive you or that thing that bring you, brought you the passion that maybe you had, um, you know, of that sort of vocational commitment in the military, um, you know, can, can be quite challenging sometimes. And, and I, I hear um, that, and like me, you know, like-minded individuals, that we're talking about employment, we're talking about transition, we're mm -hmm. talking about housing, we're talking about dressing, all these things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. um, but for you, and definitely for me, that the mental health aspect mm -hmm. has to be the foundation of that. Because if we don't, if we can't raise our voice above a whisper or look somebody in the eye, then we're not going to be as effective as we can be uh, in an interview or, or things like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think... Uh, you have to certainly be aware of, uh, of your own, uh, you know, um, prejudgments and, and, you know, uh, misconceptions about things. You know, I think there's a lot often um, just in general about the veteran community, right, uh, not only from a civilian standpoint, but, you know, media from, uh, you know, from all different outlets up there are misconceptions about, uh, you know, the, the veteran community in general. Um, so, you know, we have to take some ownership ourselves in telling our stories. You know, um, I am in, in my graduate experience when I was in graduate school, right? It, that was one of the first things that kind of struck me was, okay, I have to figure out how to tell my story here, right? I've been a while since I've been back in school and, and that's the first thing that happens, right? You get into class and everyone goes around and introduces themselves and I had to make a, a decision kind of on the spot. Am I gonna lead with the fact that I'm a veteran and I was in the military and all this, that and the other? Or am I going to focus at something else that you know I'm looking at in my life or did in my life? Um, and so you have to you have to learn how to tell your story, you know, um, and uh, that's going to look different for every person. Um, some people, even if they serve many years in the military, may not want to lead with that right away, and that's okay, you know. Um, but it's figuring out how to how to tell your story because um, you'll you'll get asked, right? Um, and it'll come up, um, and and if it's something that you haven't kind of rehearsed in your mind, it can can sometimes cause a lot of challenges, you know. No, and, and definitely that, trying to understand, uh, you know, how am I going to fit? What am I going to do after mm -hmm. the military? Um, and and you, you talked about uh, preconceived notions or, or judgments or stereotypes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we referred to it earlier um, as far as the, the one guy, you know, I'm a hero if I'm up on screen. Yeah. Um, but if I'm sitting next to you, everybody loves a veteran until they're sitting in the cubicle next to them or they're sitting across the interview table or you're at a barbecue. And if I tell you my stories looking you in the eye that you just saw, you know, Chris Kyle doing on the big screen, then you'll run away screaming and think that I'm... How much do you think those stereotypes impact veterans when it comes to maybe seeking therapy? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it weighs uh, certainly significantly because it's all present out there in, in the media. It's present in um, society. It's present in, uh, you know, certainly the interactions that we have, you know, with with peers, right, with uh, civilians, with, with, with anyone, right, um, and, you know, I think it, it creates, um, you know, challenges, again, you know, just the general stigma of mental health, I think, is something that, you know, we have gotten certainly a little bit better at kind of um, dispelling that, right, and providing now resources and access to therapy and, uh, you know, kind of dispelling uh, that, hey, there's nothing, there's nothing weak about going to get help. In fact, it shows a tremendous amount of strength. If anything, it's it's the the more approach of strength, right, than than a weakness. Um, but uh, you know, th there there still is, I think, uh, certainly out there, um, you know, different versions of different stories. Um, and you know, maybe that goes back to you know what I was saying earlier about um, being able to tell your story, right? Is if you're in the community and you feel comfortable. Um, how, how are you going to tell your story in the community, right? And, and how are you going to tell your story not only uh, to, to represent yourself, but 
keep in mind you're representing veterans, you're representing you know other uh, members of the military. Um, when you do, uh, you know, make the decision to speak openly about your experiences, let's say. Um, so you, you're, you certainly have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, right. not only from a personal standpoint, but from representative of our of our group overall. And, and you said it earlier about balance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, and I, I truly believe in, in balance being necessary. You know, um, you can't have zero anger because the anger is a legitimate emotion, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we respond to that, but you can't have rage, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. you have to have balance. But then I, I hear that is that if I'm out in the community and I'm telling my story, mm-hmm. um, I can't tell every detail. Right? Sure. I'm not going to be telling every single minute detail, and, yeah. and so I, I have to do it in a way that conveys um, conveys the understanding of what I'm trying to say, but also is protective of me yeah. that I'm not opening, you know, these these wounds and, and things like that. Sure. Um, but I also don't wonder if it's a if it's an example piece. Uh, you had mentioned that, uh, and very openly, you said that you you had accessed mental health when you were active duty. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine you, as a commander now, um, uh, support you know and make it um, you know a part of your unit yep. to say that that this is an accepted thing. That's been a shift over the last fifteen years. Yeah, it has. I mean, I think you've seen uh, you know now in the active component certainly, uh, but you know through all branches of uh, you know leaders coming out and being much more open about saying, hey, um, you know, I'm a general officer or I'm a senior non-commissioned officer and it's okay to go get help. I, in fact, I go and get it myself, right? I mean, I think the military is an environment where, you know, as a leader, you would never do something you wouldn't, you know, tell your, your, your fellow, you know, soldiers or Marines or, or, or sailors or airmen to do, right? And so for a leader to go out and say, hey, I, I go to therapy, right? Or I've been to therapy or, you know, um, I've had experiences in therapy um, that, that then you know sets I think a, a real firm example for dispelling any of that stigma, uh, certainly for your subordinates, right, um, and uh, certainly also for your peers, right, um, and, and those that are out uh, who who may you know for whatever reason not be at that point yet of understanding. Um, so uh, yeah, and I think uh, you know it, it doesn't have to be you know therapy is a quest for knowledge. You know I think ultimately right, and knowledge hopefully leads to a better quality of life for you. And knowledge is awareness, knowledge is, you know, um, acceptance, knowledge can mean all sorts of things, right? But um, so therapy does not have to be something where you go to when you're in a crisis point, right? If you're in a crisis point, hopefully you can access something like that, right? And you can see the benefits of it. But therapy can also be a great thing just to go uh, to sort things out in your mind, right? Um, To have better awareness about yourself, to, uh, you know, explore what's going on unconsciously, right, that you're not even aware of in your life, right? I mean, there's all sorts of different uh, benefits to therapy um, as, uh, you know, I think having uh, a tool in your life to, again, release some of that pressure, right? It's not certainly the only tool, right? There's a variety of tools out there, and you and I have talked, I know, this weekend about, um, you know, some of the great veteran service organizations that do things to release pressure in different ways, you know? Um, So therapy, I think, should be one of many different tools uh, in, in your toolkit, if you think about it that way. Yeah, and, and I think that it just, and you said that quest for knowledge, um, uh, in that uh, quest for knowledge on the battlefield, right? Mm. You know, we did ISR, sure. you had scouts, right? You yeah. have to figure out what is going on before yeah. you don't rush blindly in, and we don't apply that quest for knowledge, that self-knowledge is yeah. really what what therapy is doing, is, is without awareness, we can't change yeah. something. Yeah. Um, you know, we have these core beliefs that are inside of us, um, if if we become aware of them and we like them, how do we sustain them? If we become aware of them and we really don't like them, you know, I used to, um, if if it, um, the the unspoken belief in my mind is all crowds are dangerous, mm. well, I used to really enjoy going to concerts and stuff like that. Sure. I don't like the belief that, that concerts are dangerous. Now that I'm aware of that, I can make changes to that. Yeah. Uh, and so this idea of a quest for knowledge, it's like, scouts out yeah. right it's like putting somebody out to you know yeah no LPOP. exactly right i mean i think lpop exactly and and when uh you know when i'm trying to gain information about something you know um i may need i may decide to never even take any action on it right but uh, i can't do anything unless i have that awareness first right and awareness is a uh, again something that could take take a long time to gain awareness um and then once you have maybe some information maybe you do decide to make a change in your life right maybe you are accepting of 
hey, there's something that I need to, to address or there's something that I need more of in my life or less of in my life or I have a negative influence that I need to minimize or I need to have more of this positive influence, right? Um, but you can't even get to that point if you don't have the awareness first, right? And, and awareness certainly comes, um, you know, again, not only through therapy, but uh, it can come uh, through a variety of factors in life. Um, you know, we, we can't, we, the military, you can't fix what you don't know is broke, right? right? Yeah, I mean, so. it's, a, and it's a, in, in another parallel, and, yeah. and I've used it in, in, in your presentation, yeah. I appreciate that, about the, we perform PMCS, yeah. right? Yeah, we perform exactly. PMCS yeah. on our gas, every other vehicle, yeah. but we don't perform, perform preventive sure. maintenance. Sure. Um, if, uh, if, if I were uh, a mechanic in the motor pool, um, some of my clients would be coming in with class three leaks yeah. and, and, and everything else because um, they didn't perform the proper PMC. It's, sure. it's always post-disaster. Sure. It's after the, the, the drip pan fell out of the bottom, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and so that idea, and it's about shifting the framework. And I, I like that idea of um, uh, that it's a quest for knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not about sitting on the couch talking about your mother. Yeah. Unless your mother's the problem, and then we can talk about it. But, sure. it's, but it's about understanding why you're doing the things that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... You know that 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 connection that you make that parallel of PMCS is, is outstanding because it you know it, it really gives you the imagery of you know I, I don't want to be trying to, to address or fix something literally when all the oil is coming out of the engine right um, and and you know the little drip um, it, it, it may not even be necessarily something that's overwhelming me in life right now right uh, but it's something again that I may want to gain some more awareness about right I'm gonna be the operator there kind of you know checking out and seeing where that's coming from um, because that might allow me to, to prevent then that, that crisis state. But certainly, sometimes we are in that crisis moment or something happens that's totally unexpected, you know. Um, and that's where we do have to also just, you know, be able to know, okay, what are the resources out there that I can access if I'm in a crisis situation, right? Um, and, and not only me knowing them, but also my family members or my friends knowing them, right? Or someone who's my battle buddy in the community knowing, you know, what are those resources so if I need to help somebody, um, I know, you know, where I can refer them to or where I can take them to or where I can recommend them to go. Um, you know, part of risk assessment in the military, right? I mean, we risk, do risk assessments all the time, right? Um, and, you know, it's important to, to do risk assessments in your own life too, right? Um, and, and that involves not only you, but whoever's around you, right? Your family members, your significant others, your, your friends, um, your, your battle buddies. So, And, and I, again, even that, taking that even farther, it's a, Yes, you perform maintenance, and then uh, catastrophes are going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, everybody has, especially yeah. in the 82nd, you have a back at Bragg story, yeah. back when I was at Bragg. <laughs> um, but uh, but we were running a, a jump um, in, in transporting back and forth, mm-hmm. and I was uh, following one of my guys, and he's, he pulled over on the side of the road, and he's holding his drive shaft in his hand, yeah. right? And he's just looking Unexpected. at me, yeah. right? And he's like, what do I do? And I'm like, you know, and, and so it's there's that crisis. Yeah. No matter how much you, you can PMCS, a crisis is going to happen. Sure. But then also knowing that, hey, there's somebody that I can call. He turned to me and said, what do I do? Yeah. Oh, we're going to call this and get recovery back in and all this other stuff. Sure, sure. Um, and, and so, and, and that's the same thing with, with counseling. That's mm-hmm. the same thing with therapy, that if you have the ability to, uh, to find that person, to, to call out and get connected, um, that when a crisis happens, you have a support network. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of veterans don't think they have that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and you know, when you lose your, your squad or your, your um, you know, your section, your, your, your wingman, right, um, that, that can be a really difficult sort of just mental position to have to put yourself in. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there is, though, uh, a team that you can connect to out there in civilian life, right? Um, Finding it can be a challenge sometimes, right? Because it's not going to look exactly the same as that team that you had in the military. They're not going to be in uniform, right? They're not going to maybe talk the same lingo. They're not going to have maybe even the same vision of, of life that you do. But, um, you know, that team in, in your civilian life could look like someone like your close family, right? It could also look like um, a veteran service organization. It could also look like something in the community that you're connected to. It could also look like maybe a spiritual or religious group that you're connected to, right? Maybe it's a, a pleasurable activity that you enjoy doing that you have a lot of, um, you know, passion with, right? Um, it's connecting to something, again, that has that, that team aspect or that community aspect um, that I think can really benefit, uh, again, your, 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 your quality of life and ultimately your, um, your, your sort of readjustment to, uh, to, to the civilian world. Yeah, and, and in the military, that support network was given to us, right? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. you, you were told, 
when you went out, these were the call signs for battle space. This yep. is who you call for fire. You were given all these different things mm-hmm. um, that even that infantryman, if they're stacked in, in Baghdad mm-hmm. uh, about to kick in a door, he knows that he's got helicopter. He's got you know everybody sure. from a mile away to a mile above him. But when they get out of the military, we have to establish that ourselves. It's yeah. not given to us. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a disconnect that we don't understand that, again, we talk about control. Mm-hmm. I have the control to be able to establish whatever my support network is, sure. whatever my, my, you know, my call for fire, yeah. um, to reach out to do that. Yeah, one of the images I like to sometimes draw, too, is you know, a map like we do in Land Nav in the military, right? You have a, your standard uh, you know, paper map there that you're using. Uh, to navigate from one point to another. And let's say you're looking at your map and you notice that there's supposed to be a terrain feature there, but then you pull it down and you see reality out there and there's no terrain feature there, right? Well, you would go with what's in reality, right? Because I don't want to go off of a cliff, certainly, right? Or put myself in a position where I'm just following the map blindly, right? Because the map could be wrong. You may not be in the right place, right? Um, So life being the reality out there sometimes doesn't match the map, right? Of maybe where we think we're going, right? Um, and I think particularly as we transition out of the military, we have a, a map in our mind of maybe where we want to go. Then reality kind of sometimes awakens us, right? And it I'm, looks very different. I'm hearing another parallel. I'm sitting yeah. here grinning because it's, it's the shoulds, yeah. right? The, the yeah. maps, and, and I've, I've heard, sure. no offense, Marco, the lieutenant <laughs> Of course, says, yeah, can't spell loss that LT, right? <laughs> we should be, this isn't where we should be, right? Yeah. They're looking at the map, and this is the way it should be, and we're nowhere near where we should be. Sure. And so... And, and that's where, um, and, and I've talked before about dialectical behavior therapy, is, is uh, radical acceptance, yeah. accepting reality as it is sure. rather than what it should be. Sure. And if I hold on to that mental map of mm-hmm. this is where I should be, this is the way my life should be, and I'm denying reality, yeah. that means I'm going to fall off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, you, you can only be, we can only be in control of, of, of the present, right? Um, the past teaches us things, right? It's history. It provides us knowledge, but we can't change it per se, right? The future also is um, something that we can look forward to and provides maybe the ability for us to make change in life. But it also is, it's not, it's not clear what the future is going to be, right? So there's a little bit of anxiety there. Maybe there's a little bit of a fog, right? Um, But the present is really where we can take concrete action. And I think like we've been talking about, ultimately have control, right? Um, And, and so then, you know, take control, right? I was, uh, I frequently talk to veterans about, you know, um, what's one thing you can do today that you can be in control of, right? And maybe it's something as simple of, I want to go home and have a steak tonight, right? Well, or get up and walk out of this therapy yeah, session. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and it's go, go and do that, right? Yeah. Go and do that. And then think of another thing that you're going to do later today that you can control, right? Um, build that sort of repetition in your mind, just as we would do tasks in the military repetitively to build competency, um, you know. Um, in mental health, I think it's it's finding something that you can build repetitively in your mind, um, and and you know being in control. There are a lot of things that we can control right now. You know, um, find something and, and go and do that, right? And then remind yourself after about how you just did that and you were in control of it, right? Um, then when things approach you in life that you can't necessarily control as much of, you won't necessarily hopefully feel as overwhelmed because you'll know that hey, there are a lot of things that I can control. Uh, but there sometimes are things that I can't, right? But I can always control certainly the way I react to those things, right? Um, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, like riding your bike, right? It's a challenge that you have to certainly take on and, and develop that skill. Um, or it's just like, you know, when you go to basic training, your very first day you know nothing mm-hmm. about the military cultural experience. And by the end of um, your basic training, um, you know, you're, you're a trained, you know, warrior, right? And And... And your, your trust in yourself um, has been exponentially built um, over the course of you know relatively short amount of time right. in, in your lifespan, right? Um, and you continue to do that throughout the military, certainly. Um, and there's nothing that says you can't have that in your in right. Your and I think life. that's the thing is a lot of veterans do stop that, right? You know, I mean, it's not that it's lifelong learning, but but when when there is that stuck, when when we don't make that transition over to life beyond the military, mm-hmm. um, that the the ability, the strength ability, and the the, the adaptability, mm-hmm. all of that ends uh, sometimes, uh, and and it's a cage of our own construction as we put that there. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the two guys that talk in metaphor, we, we could be we could be here all day. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. And uh, and I don't think that uh, we need to be. 
this has been great. So if, yeah. if somebody, um, if they want to uh, maybe connect with you, do you have anything on social sure. media? Or um, like I, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I work for the VA. I work in the Vet Center program. Um, you know, I think uh, Vet Centers are, are a fantastic resource that, um, you know, some veterans know a lot about. Others maybe not as much. Um, you know, Vet Centers are located all across the country and are very easy to access, specifically work with combat veterans um, and uh, family members and veterans that have experienced military sexual trauma. Um, you know, I think um, the veteran, the vet center culture is one that's very much built of veterans helping other veterans. And so um, you'll find a lot of counselors in vet centers are veterans themselves. Um, and uh, that can sometimes provide an environment that's just much more uh, inviting maybe initially, right? Uh, but certainly there are phenomenal services that are available, uh, not only in the VA, but, um, you know, also in, in many different community agencies that are out there. I know one of which you're, you're part of, Dwayne, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's a team, right? Just like in the military, um, you know, if you're doing an operation, you have to have your joint partners there, right? You can't just do an Army fight alone. Um, and very similar in mental health, you know, it has to be a, um, a, a team effort. I mean, that's not just the VA, certainly, but it's, you know, all the different community agencies that are out there, all the different veteran service organizations, right? All the different things that aren't even necessarily connected with veterans or the military, but are just present in the community, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, that that's the team that I think, uh, um, you know, needs to be there. Um, and, uh, you know, knowing that accessing that team can maybe have some challenges. You know, there are definitely a lot of barriers out there that I know you've talked many, many different times about in uh, not only your podcast but in other uh, forums. Uh, but, um, you know, I guess if I were to summarize it, you know, my own experience was one of talking to another veteran first, right? right. Being that the first sort of in, intake, right, of, hey, what was your experience like, you know? Tell me how, how this worked. And which is very similar to how I think we learn things in the military, right? We're shown by somebody who has knowledge already, right? And then we learn by doing. Um, and then you repeat that task again and again and again until you become proficient. To, so then you can teach someone teach else. Your, yeah, you yeah. give it a, along the other side. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I'm definitely going to make sure that the link to um, the um, the vet centers is in, and, and, and listeners can Great, go to thanks. the show notes and, yeah. and, and type in their zip code, and it's going to show this. Um, I, I absolutely not being in the VA, uh, so I don't have to give the caveats, but, <laughs> um, but I'm a huge proponent of the vet centers. Uh, they're outpatient mental health counseling clinics. Uh, they are very much comfortable. Um, those listeners who had listened to uh, Dr. Alicia Caraquiri in the National Academy's surveys um, identified that the vet centers um, are, are really, you know, first in class when it comes to mental health, um, um, providing mental health in the VA system, um, that many veterans feel more comfortable in the vet centers. Uh, and, and I think you and I have talked about this briefly, and I know my colleagues at the vet center, um, they're frustrated because veterans don't know about the vet mm -hmm. center. Um, and, and so learning even more about where the local vet center is and what they do, um, it, it's critical. Yeah, too. yeah. well, I, I think it's, it's, again, knowledge of what's out there in your community. And, uh, you know, um, when you separate, you, you may not separate exactly where, where you're going to end up living, right? And so having knowledge of what's local to you, um, and that's not just VA resources, that's everything that's out there. Um, I think it's a real important piece of transition, you know, and, and unfortunately you don't really get that picture when you transition out of active duty because they give you a very wide scope of what's available out there. And frankly, your mind generally is elsewhere when you're going mm -hmm. through, yeah. you know, the process of, of separating. And it's so, not at your feet, it's on the horizon. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you may even have a tool that, that maybe you were introduced to, but it doesn't necessarily uh, come at the forefront of your mind. So. Uh, but, you know, knowing what's out there in the local community is definitely, I think, uh, a huge importance uh, when you're transitioning. Um, and, you know, vet centers uh, can certainly be one of those places. Well, this has been great. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time sure. to, uh, to sit down and talk to us. Sure. No, thanks, Darren. I really appreciate the time, too. And uh, it's an honor to, uh, to, to have uh, done this with you, too. I, again, really admire your work and look forward to continuing to follow your podcast. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, we're all in this together. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. There was a lot of great stuff in that conversation. You know, at the beginning, I cut out a snippet of the conversation that gives a great nugget of information about their subject. Well, with Marco, I had a hard time picking out just one. He made so many great points that choosing which one to highlight was challenging. The parallels were great. It's super effective in helping veterans understand more about what they're experiencing and helpful for those mental health providers who work with veterans but aren't veterans themselves, understand more about the veteran mindset. 
whether it was explaining mindfulness by being at the firing range, the parallel of the map not matching reality, building your team after the military, networking, preventive maintenance, all were really effective in describing mental health interventions and therapy. I also really appreciated how he talked about therapy being a quest for knowledge rather than just someone fixing what's broken. There are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to whether or not meeting with a mental health provider is necessary and whether it's necessary not only in imminently crisis situations or, more likely, after a crisis has occurred. Looking at therapy as a knowledge and understanding seeking exercise rather than just sitting around talking about your feelings can go a long way towards reducing the stigma about it. And the idea of needing to shift from we to I after the military. Hard to hear, I know, for a lot of veterans. Thinking of self is extremely challenging for a lot of veterans, this one included. That doesn't mean that we have to become self-absorbed jerks that don't care about anyone else but it does mean that we have to pay attention to ourselves as much as we do for other people. And finally, checking out the Vet Center program through the VA. It's a great program that's super effective, but doesn't get a lot of publicity. It's not through lack of trying, though, but rather just the sheer amount of information that's out there. Don't forget, in the last couple of months, I've been giving away free books to organizations that partner directly with veterans. Last week, we heard from our June partner, Inner Resource Psychotherapy. July's partner is Operation TBI Freedom, a nonprofit in Colorado Springs that provides peer support and case management with veterans who have experienced traumatic brain injury. If you want to learn more about the organization, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash organization. If you want to support their work with veterans, head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash combat vet book and pick up a copy. And if you have an Echo device, we're on Amazon Alexa as well. Just go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash Alexa to add the update to your flash briefing and you'll get daily updates about veteran mental health and wellness. Make sure to tune in next week. We have a great guest who's doing some awesome stuff when it comes to veteran mental health. I have a conversation with Ken Falk, the co-founder of Boulder Crest Retreat, about his latest book, Struggle Well, and the concept of post-traumatic growth. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to veteranmentalhealth.com or changeyourpov.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out. Because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real. Found a feast and lost a soul. Eventually, my drinking, it got out of control. There in darkness, I roam, struggling to find home. See, suddenly, death didn't feel so alone. 22 a day, destination unknown. It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone. But now you're gone, so I guess all we get up stones. I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies, broke out facilities that try to put an end to me, R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility, authentic tendency, embrace my ability. Eliminate the enemy, deliver me God from temptation Tell me that's his
guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up. You know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.